Hey Hill City, my name's Matt and I'm part of the team here. We're so glad you're online with us this morning. We want you to know that Hill City is a safe place for you to get to know Jesus. So if you're curious or you have doubts, questions, or fears, we'd be honored to talk through them with you. If you've been watching with us, we wanna check in with you and, and make sure you're doing okay. You can fill out a connection card on our website to help you get connected with real live people. Today, we've got a few songs and then the next message in our sermon series. Thanks for being here.
Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. Um, if this is your first time here with us, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team here, and just so grateful that you decided to spend a portion of your Sunday uh, with us. To those of you guys watching online, thank you for watching uh, as well here uh, this morning. Um, you know, we talk about wanting to connect people to God and connecting you to others, and that's really what this is about. This isn't any kind of habit or just trying to put on some kind of show or anything. The, the ultimate goal here is, is really we want you guys to connect. We want you to connect with people and with God. And so we'd love to get to meet you and know you and everything. And so if you're looking for a church to call home, we hope that Hill City becomes that place for you. And on your way out, there's folks in the lounge area that would love to meet you and answer any questions that you have. And they have a free gift for you uh, as well. Um, if for some reason, you know, like we're not a great fit for you, um, we'd love to help you find like a home church. Um, that would be an honor for us to do so. So I'm just so grateful that you're here. We are in uh, week number nine, I believe, of, I should know that, but week, I think it's week number nine of this series that we're in, uh, in the book of Mark. And so if you're not familiar with your Bible, our Bibles are broken up into the Old Testament and the New Testament, and this hinge point is the, this guy named Jesus, and uh, it's what Christianity um, is about, his death and his resurrection. And in our Bibles, what's interesting is um, you've got these things called the Gospels, and they're the first four books of the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they give us different portraits of the teachings and the life of Jesus. And, but in the midst of that, what's also interesting is they're always trying to tie in uh, through certain language, and we're going to see this in a couple of points in the story we're going to look at today. Um, they're tying in that this faith is, is big, it's massive, it's generations long. And so even though we, we say it's the Old Testament, as it, it doesn't mean it's non-existent, it doesn't mean it doesn't matter. In, in this kind of New Testament, this thing that happens after Jesus, they're always, the writers are always trying to tie in to um, what's going on uh, with like kind of some Old Testament stories uh, as well. And so, do I need to do something? We're good? Get a handout? Okay. I don't know where they are.
and uh, but here's a thing about compassion that I just find like so fascinating. When you when you think about what Jesus did, he was just like the ultimate, like it's so much compassion for people. And you know it's fascinating too, like a lot of times for men, compassion is looked at as some kind of like negative thing. And that it's just supposed to be like, hey, women are compassionate, men tell you to suck it up, right? And so um Okay, so, um, which is part of my compassion problem. But, like, there, there is a level to this, though, that when we talk about compassion, um, real compassion happens when there's this kind of real connection to Christ. Real compassion happens um, when we have this Christ-like heart and this Christ-like uh, attitude, and we get to see this a lot in Jesus. I mean, honestly, how many of you guys have had trouble with compassion before? Right here. Yeah. Yeah, right? And so um, I want to talk about this today because um, here's kind of the first main thought that I want us to, to wrestle with that we'll kind of like work through um, today is simply this, that our level of compassion is determined by our commitment to Christ. Our level of compassion is determined by our commitment um, to Christ. And um, I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, but our culture as a whole is not compassionate. We have little good pockets of it, right? Like some people are really good with this. But as a whole, our, our culture is not compassionate to one another. And I want to talk about today, like, wh why that is. And there's some, there's some reasons for that. Um, but I really want us to take a look at this kind of, even like biblically, what does it mean to have compassion? The, the word itself, the framework of the word, when you look at the kind of Hebrew letters of it, um, it has the same framework and structure in a wording that a uh, womb does. So there's this nurturing element to uh, like a mother's womb that compassion comes from. And then in the New Testament, the word means uh, that it's in your gut, all right? So compassion, real, authentic compassion is in your gut. It, it, it comes from like the very core of your being, all right? So if it's not, it's not hard to be compassionate to, to someone you really like, right? And so, but when it's in your gut, you're compassionate to people you don't like. And it's a very different thing. And I'm talking about real, authentic compassion. It is in your gut. If you don't feel it in your gut, then I'm telling you that there's a work that God has to do inside of you for it to be there. All right? So um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6. And and, uh, and what's kind of led up to this point is actually pretty interesting. In the first part of this chapter, uh, Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth, and he goes there because he wants to, you know, not only just teach, but he wants to do some miracles in the town. Uh, but the people there reject him, okay? And they're like, Jesus, we know Jesus. Like, he was a carpenter's son, and we know Mary, and we know his brothers and sisters, and like, there's no way this is real. Okay, and so they reject him. Right after that, Jesus sends out the disciples. So the disciples have been with him. They're the closest people to Jesus, and they've been with him for quite some time at this point. They've seen all miracles. They've seen how um, he teaches and the authority to which he teaches and everything, and they're kind of enamored with him. And uh, Jesus sends them out, and the story says that they were casting out demons and all these like healings were happening and everything. So some wild things are happening with these disciples. Uh, just after that, uh, John the Baptist, who we actually, we talked about uh, John the Baptist in the beginning of the series, who's the cousin of Jesus. Um, John the Baptist uh, 
gets arrested, and while he's in prison, um, Herod uh, has uh, this kind of scene, this huge party, and um, it's a crazy, crazy story, Um, but it's so corrupt, and it's so evil, and so demented, Um, but what ends up happening is is uh, Herod asks this essentially middle school girl who had just done this dance for him and all the other men. And um, in the scripture, and this is kind of graphic, but the scripture says that like they were all sexually aroused, and um, and that he says to this woman, or not woman, this girl, he says, um, "What do you want?" And she turns to her mom, and her mom says, um, "I want John the Baptist's head on a platter." And so she says this, and so they behead John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. And so all these things are are happening in the midst of this, and they're leading up to this this story that some of you guys are familiar with. And, um, but they are approaching this, this kind of another pivotal point in the life of the disciples. And starting in Mark chapter 6, in verse 30, and it says this. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all, look at this, they had done and taught. So they had just come off their trip and everything. They just heard about John the Baptist. And so they come back and they report about what they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, this is Jesus talking, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Again, the picture I showed last week, like you can see things, all right? So even when someone's like, hey, we're gonna get in the boat, and you so say you're like right here and like we're gonna get in a boat, we're gonna go to this other kind of secluded little area. The problem is, is the people over here can see you. So you think you're just gonna go, but they're just going, okay, we'll meet you there. Right, that's what just essentially just happened. Continues on. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep. Oh gosh, this passage, y'all. This, uh, sheep without a shepherd. All right, remember that. Um, So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him, and look what they say. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to their surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answers, you give them something to eat. They said to him, That would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many, Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they find out, they said, five and two fish. When Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. All right, I want you to remember that too. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Let me pause here. There's all these like random little nuggets that in, in details that Mark is putting in here. And one, it shows that there's a kind of personal connection to the story and like an eyewitness uh, testimony. But two, there's these little like interesting little tidbits. That's why I said, all right, the sheep without the shepherd and the green, green pasture or the green grass that's there. And these are, these are reasons that they're in there. They're connecting to something bigger than I'm gonna show you guys at the end. Uh, but this other part, too, of like he said they had them go in groups of 50s and 100s. To us, that doesn't matter, right? You read that and you're like, cool, it doesn't matter. But to them, it mattered deeply, okay? Because in the Exodus story, which is the story of Moses leading God's people out of slavery, 
and out of oppression um, and into the wilderness and eventually into the promised land. What ends up happening is in those moments, he gathered them in 50s and 100s in the story. So even when uh, Jesus asked them to sit in this way and when they put him in that way, he was, he was pointing to something deeper. And he's like, because the Exodus story was like, it's the story of the Jewish faith, okay? So we can't forget that part. So he puts them in 50s and 100s, and that would have made them think like, whoa, 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 our people have done this before. And starts getting them to think a little bit bigger of what's about to happen. So taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to all the people. He also divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up, look at this, 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Okay, now, it would have, that number would have been way bigger than that. They only counted men during that time. So um, most of those men probably would have been married and most of them would have had kids. And so that number probably grows somewhere between 12 to 15,000 people. And then they had 12 baskets um, left over. So this story is wild. All right, and we, we, we kind of fixate on the part of the story of the food. And, and we should, like that's, that's a reality of, of the story. But there's something far deeper in here. And we've got to look at what we saw here when Jesus like first enters in. It's like he says, he looks at the crowd and he sees them with compassion. The disciples didn't. But Jesus did. There was something different about what was going on in the very kind of core of Jesus and, and what it meant. And so I want to talk about a few things here this morning around compassion. And here's the first one. What prevents us from compassion? Familiarity. This is the first one, familiarity. Um, how many of you guys have had uh, a friend, a family member, someone you're close to um, where they were a lot to handle? How many of you guys lost compassion? Honestly, right? Like, they might be sitting next to you, right? It'd be like, you're like, it's actually you. Like, that's, you're, the, you're the one I'm thinking about. How many people, though, someone else comes into the story of their lives and show them incredible compassion and it does something big in their lives? Have you ever seen that happen? And you're thinking to yourself, dang it. I could have been me. I just got tired, right? And there's this familiarity that happens. We've all been there. We've all done this. There's this familiarity that happens um, that our compassion begins to wane with people. You, you, you know why? Sometimes it's like, I need boundaries. <laughs> I get it. Uh, sometimes we get tired because we just don't want to. Sometimes, sometimes um, it's because it was never truly in our gut. The front end of our compassion towards that person was simply because we knew them well or they were a family member and we felt like we had to. And so it wasn't really in our gut. It wasn't really nurturing. It wasn't really to the level that it should have been. And so that's why we can get tired so easily. One of the ways I was thinking about it was this way, that familiarity leads to complacency and complacency makes us misread situations. So we begin to think that the person that maybe we got tired with is like, oh, they're too much and we misread it. Because maybe, maybe it had more to do with our level of compassion or lack of. Or maybe, maybe that person, you know, might felt like it was like a little too much, but there were some underlying things going on that we never actually got to. 
because we didn't want to take the time to get there. And so we, just, we didn't feel it in our gut. We didn't, we didn't have that like towards them like we should. Are there people that you know, we need boundaries with? And I'll talk about this in a second. And are there, yes, all right? Are there people that can be too much and, and everything might be a little, and like someone else needs to come in? Yes, like those are sometimes realities. But man, how often do we run out of com like compassion because of familiarity? You know, in this story, the reason why I circled in the beginning in verse 30, um, the disciples became too familiar with Jesus. Get this. He sends them out, right? And it's like, go out, and I'm, I am gifting you with something, right? He instills something in them. The Spirit of God is working in them like, like never before, right? Something significant is happening in these disciples. And they go out, and they go do all this crazy stuff and, and casting out demons and all these miracles, and they come back to Jesus. And what do they say? It says in verse 30, Look what we did. They got too familiar. Look what we did. See, what they should have come back and said is like, Jesus, you'll never guess. Like, what God did through us. Let me, like, and Jesus would have been like, I know. But they came back and they said, look what we did. Look what we taught. And when we do that, here's what we end up doing. We put ourselves on the same holiness level as God. When we do that, we begin to interrupt the flow of things that God's trying to instill inside of us. You see, too often what ends up happening, and this is why, honestly, um, when the pandemic hit, and some, one, of, one of, there's multiple reasons, but one of the reasons that such a big disconnect happened with people, with God, was because they put themselves on the level with God too much. Everything's been centered around, look what I've done, look what I've done, look what I've done. They might not even realize it, but then when there's this kind of interruption, they're like, actually, I'm pretty good by myself. And so a disconnection can begin to happen with God. So, and that's what happened with these disciples. The familiarity starts happening. And what ended up happening is they, had, they began to misread the situation in front of them. They wanted to send the people away, and Jesus is like, no, 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 we have compassion on them. Well, why is that? Because they had a little too much pride. And that begins to impact the level of compassion that we begin to see come out of us. Um, the second thing that I think is important around us that stops us. Now, there, there are more things there. I should say familiarity here. All right. The second thing is compromising. Compromising. I think this is one of the, oh, I should say the top, in my opinion, the top three sins of the church right now is we compromise. We compromise way too much. We compromise on the word. We compromise um, with our time. We we're in a constant state of compromising the word of God. And um, I began to like look at what happens even in this story that um, I just find incredible that Jesus does this big miracle, but guess what? Jesus will never uh, elevate what we compromise. So if you're compromising in a relationship right now that you know isn't like really right what you're doing, Jesus will not elevate or bless that. If you're doing something with like your money and your time and your marriage and whatever, I don't care what it is, and, and you are compromising us, I promise you Jesus will not elevate that. And what you'll find on the other end of it is like more pain more destruction, more hurt, more confusion. Jesus doesn't elevate it. 
And it's important for us to then take a step back. You, you might be saying, like, whoa, 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 I know this story. Um, Jesus did elevate it because I know the disciples weren't right in how they were acting, but he still fed them. I'm like, no, no, no. He doesn't elevate their way of thinking. He elevates his way of provision. You'll notice in the story, he does not uplift their way of thinking. He doesn't say, hey, it's cool you guys think you're on my, on my level. <laughs> let me also, because we're all in this together, right, guys? Let me also feed these 5,000 people. No, 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 that's not what he does. He elevates his own provision in the midst of this, but he does not elevate their way of thinking. And Jesus will never, never ever elevate ours. So in this moment, even this cultural moment where we're, we're seeing all these divisive things and, and all this stuff that's going on, and we're in this constant state of compromising the faith and compromising what Jesus taught, I'm telling you, Jesus will not elevate that. He will not. We can play games with him, and we can be like, but what about his grace? We can, all that stuff, I'm telling you, he will not elevate it. I saw this recently, and I am not, you guys, I'm not making any kind of political statement here. This is just, I'm using this as an illustration. Um, a, a friend that I know, um, he, he posted a picture of his hat, and, and I was like, man, this is, he had God on there and guns and then a particular person he loves. And on, there, and on the hat, it had a cross on it with, like, machine guns on it, too. And I saw this, and I was like, I don't know that you could possibly compromise God any more than you just did. Like, I, I can't fathom, like, compromising the, the word of God or Jesus and his reputation more than that hat that it was, like, proudly, like, wearing. And in those moments, in those moments, I'm like, there's nothing God wants to elevate here. It's so far from what Jesus taught. And in this, what ends up happening, and let me tell you <laughs> what um, was like convicting, because whenever I do a message, I run through it a few different times because I wanted to like grip my heart, right? And I'm praying through it. And so I'm in preparation for this, and this whole thing happened this past Monday. And, um, and, and let me tell you guys something. I had zero compassion for this person. Zero. And I thought to myself, I'm glad I'm preaching this this week. Because I'm seeing this, and I'm just like, I'm like living it out live in my heart and in my head. And I'm like, all right, I see kind of the, the wrong here. But at the same time, the fact that I don't have compassion to this man, I'm like, I also see the wrong that's in me. Why was it there? Well, part of it is because I'm very familiar with them. Part of it was I've, I've actually gotten complacent. My, I realized, man, I've, I've, seen, I've seen, he was once like someone I actually mentored and stuff like that, and I've, I've seen him just go so wayward. And I was realizing that in the midst of this, what I mean, like I'm misreading the whole thing and kind of elevating myself and my own way of thinking, and so my compassion was gone. Is he still compromising things? Uh, yeah, he is. But you know what? I had compromised my own compassion in it and realized this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And so there are other things that impact our compassion, but I think that familiarity and, um, com and compromising um, are two of the biggest. Now, what is helpful? All right, so what are some keys? Here's the, the, the first key, and this is actually the biggest one, um, is have the right pace. 
have the right pace. How many of you guys are stressed? Seriously. How many of you guys feel like you do too much? Okay. Um, when we're at a pace that is unsustainable, when we're at a pace that is not of God, when we're at a pace that we're just constantly kind of go, 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 do, 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 everything else, we become so distracted. We, we can't actually like, physically see what Jesus would like us to see in our relationships. We can't, we can't actually like, see and feel and have compassion for people around us like we should. We can't because we're in such a hurry. Everything's about, even our brains, the way our brains are working. I was uh, with a friend this week and he was telling me how like he has not been on social media uh, since May. And he said this to me, he goes, Wags, I realized I could actually pastor my church. And he said, the reason is because my brain was just always clicking. I'm always on social media and it's always going. So even if you think you're resting but your, your brain is still going, then you're actually not rest at rest. And Jesus sees this in them. And so in verse uh, 31, he, said he takes them away. He wants them into a solitary place. He is preemptively doing this. Why? Because he just heard them say, look what we've done, Jesus, instead of look what you've done. And so he's like, ah, this isn't right. Let me take you guys away from these crowds. Let me take you away to a solitary place so when we step into this, you can see what you're supposed to see. And they still don't because guess what? Their, their pace was too much and the, the thing has gotten so distracted for them. We can't see what God wants us to see when we operate at our own pace and not his. I wholeheartedly believe that we should constantly um, be revisiting our calendar and asking ourselves, is this what God would like me to, how God would like me to spend my time? Does this honor him? Does this put me at a pace where I can actually see people the way that God sees people? That I can have compassion for people the way that God wants me to have compassion for people? Is, is it possible that your pace makes you so distracted that not only are you missing on opportunity to serve others, but you are neglecting to see how distracted and how off your own personal path is right now? The constant pace that we're at isn't sustainable and does not lead us to a deeper level of love or compassion towards other people. I think uh, a second thing that is important here around this pace idea, and these, these, these are sub-points off the idea of pace, um, we need to be able to feel experiences. Some of you on the, who are a little more on the emotional side are like, finally, thank you, Wags, I'm a feeler. Um, Here's what's cool about Jesus. He was always seeing people for where uh, he understood who they were, but he also understood who they could be. And so he would see people and he understand their hurt and their pain. He would see people and understand that, man, you've gotten to this place because of all these other things. And he saw them for where they were, but he also saw them for like who they could be. And in that, you can't do that without in your gut a level of compassion that sees people. And you're like, ah, man, I see the hurt. I see the pain, all those things. But, man, I see who you could be. And then you react accordingly. 
But when we're too stressed and when we're too hurried and when we're at this pace that isn't sustainable, we miss out on all of those things. We can't even feel the experiences of other people. When Jesus comes into this, he sees the crowd and the disciples are, you know, eventually they said, hey, let's send them away. And Jesus sees these crowd of, of people and he's like, no, 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 no. He says, we have compassion on them. I see what could happen here. I see what this is supposed to be. And there were people in that crowd that hated Jesus. There were people in that crowd that loved him. There were people in that crowd who were healthy. There were people in that crowd who were completely unhealthy. But there was something significant that Jesus could see in them because in the very core of his being, he wanted what's best for people. In the very core of his being, he wanted them to see who he really was. In the very core of his being, he's like, I have a life for you that goes far beyond what you can fathom. And he wanted them to see it. But the disciples are looking out, and they're probably, they're seeing people, and like, ah, you know, like those folks over there, they kind of been around the Gentiles, so you guys are unclean, all right? You guys over here, like, you're just kind of like a little angry. You guys are over here like the really wealthy people, and you guys are just kind of miserable. You guys over here are really like hurt and painful, and, and you're all sick, and we don't want to get near you guys. But you guys over here, like, you guys are good, so we'll just look to you guys. We'll have compassion towards you guys, right? That's how the disciples were approaching these crowds. But, but man, they had started to divide everyone. And we, kinda, we know this, and we feel it. One of the ways I was thinking about it this way is it's harder to have compassion for people we are conditioned to despise. So if you can picture with me for a second, how many of you guys have people that make you angry? How many of you guys have people you deeply disagree with that you wish would shut up? Honestly. Yeah? Do you have a Christ-like level of compassion for them? You know why that happens? Because we've conditioned ourselves or outside elements have conditioned us to despise those people. And so it becomes impossible to have real, true, authentic compassion for them. That, that's the story of my friend, right? I, without even realizing, I was conditioning myself to move towards despising him. And so my compassion level was gone. It doesn't mean you can't disagree with someone. It doesn't mean you can't challenge. It, can't, it doesn't mean any of those things. But I'm talking about authentic compassion and love for someone else. It's hard to when we're conditioned to despise, uh, despise them. Here's the third thing. Be active. Be active. You might have just said, but you just told us to rest. And what about my pace? Now you're telling me to be active. Which is it? You want to be active in the right things. Be active in the right things. When we're at the right pace and we see our calendar, I mean, think about this. If I told you to do a calendar audit this week, some of you are like, no, I don't want to. Okay. <laughs> do a calendar audit and, and ask yourself how much of your life in terms of how you think and how you act is designed towards the things of the kingdom of God. See, this, this pace in our, you might be able to say, I did 150 things this week, Wags. I'm like, okay, how many things are designed towards the kingdom of God? 
Right, so there's this pace that we live at where we're doing a lot and we're active a lot, but we're not active for the right things. And so we aren't actually compassionate in the right ways. I love this because Jesus works through people, right? Jesus could have gone, he could have, he could have gone out there and he could have seen the, the five loaves and the two fish and he could have just been like, and it just like went into like bread everywhere, right? He could have taken the fish and just went like that. It's just like fish everywhere. He could have, but what did he do? He, he goes to the disciples who are now paying attention, he says, I'm going to work through you, and you guys are going to feed them. And you might be, but, but man, they, they all failed. Like, if I told you to the, listen, who among us wouldn't fail if I said do a calendar audit? Right? Like, we would all be failures to some degree. But here's what I love about what Jesus does in the midst of the failure. He takes this, that's the next one, he takes this, he doesn't focus on their failure. What he does is Jesus takes his grace and he leverages it. And he's like, I'm not going to focus on your failure to the disciples. I'm going to take my grace. And I'm going to focus on your potential. And so what Jesus is do doing here is like, man, in this activity, if you're at the right pace and you understand, it's like, I'm telling you, he will work through you in incredible ways. And this is what this means. Like, we have limitless expectations. We have limitless expectations when God is working through us. And so for these disciples, I mean, think about it. To take five loaves and, and two fish to feed tens of thousands of people, it's, it's a limitless expectation that God can th do, do through you if we're active in the right things. And that's when we begin to see this compassion begin to pour out of us in such an amazing way. Here's the last one. We got to listen. Everyone say listen. Listen. One more time. Listen. Good. There's this part of the passage where it says that Jesus saw these people. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And what we know um, uh, about sheep in and of itself is they actually know the voice of their shepherd. See, we listen to a lot of things. But do we really, really know the voice of God? You want to talk about compassion rising up inside of us. You want to talk about like a deep conviction and connection that allows us to see how we're actually spending our time and how the pace that we're at so that we can have the level of compassion in our gut that we're supposed to. It's like we, you know how that happens? Because we know the voice of God. And we're actually listening. Can you imagine how often if we stepped into a meeting this week and we just paused for a second and said, God, I want to hear your voice in this meeting. Can you imagine to those people that I said that, you know, might annoy you or you disagree with, or to my friend that I'm talking, or, you know, that I was telling you about earlier, can you imagine if I just paused for a second and thought to myself, can I just listen to your voice, God, for just a second? How, how should I think about this? How should I approach this? Do you think maybe our reactions would be at least a smidge better? We can't do this when our pace isn't correct. We can't do this when our time is, like, off. We can't do this when we're active in all these other things and we have no time to process and no time to actually listen. We become like sheep without a shepherd. Now, now why is that passage so important? Well, um, there's this guy named Moses. And as I was telling you guys earlier about the story of Exodus, there's this guy named Moses um, who's one of the pillars of the Jewish faith. And Moses leads the people um, out of uh, the, the slavery in Egypt and into the wilderness and eventually um, to the promised land. Now, he can't actually lead them in the promised land. We're going to see why here in just a second. 
But there's a really cool part where Moses was actually a shepherd of these Israelites. He's leading these people, and they know his voice. But, but God is doing this miraculous work through Moses. We come up on this scene where Moses is just so um, frustrated over, like, the Israelites. Like, it's just too much. They're too much. There's too much. And so in Numbers chapter 20, look what happens. God had just given Moses and Aaron, his brother, some directions. He says about, like, how to, how to get water to the people. And what God actually told him was, you are to speak to the rock. Okay? I need you to speak to the rock. Here's what Moses does. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded them. So up to this point, he's obeying. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, see if this language sounds familiar. Listen, you rebels. So he's automatically dividing them. Must we bring you water out of this rock? See, so often when we, some of you guys have heard this story, we think it's because he hit it. And he hit it twice. It's like it's not just about that. Moses and Aaron put themselves just like the disciples did. Look what we, like, look what we taught, look what we did. Moses and Aaron are like, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff, and water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. So there's this moment where Moses is like, I'm putting myself on a certain level that I shouldn't be. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. And so Moses and Aaron, they, they stopped listening to God. They did not see him in the holy kind of way that they should. And so they had no compassion for the people anymore. They wanted to do their own thing. They wanted to do their own way. And God did not elevate that. And so someone else began to bring them into the promised land. Does anyone know who that was? Joshua, for all you Bible nerds out there. Joshua does. Here's what's interesting. Moses said to the Lord, this is Numbers 27, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone, that's Joshua, over this community to go out and come, to in, come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people will not be like what? Sheep without a shepherd. And so when this story is in Mark chapter 6, what we just read, immediately like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is like when Moses went to Joshua and Joshua led the people into the promised land. And guess what? Joshua's name in Hebrew is the same name as whose name? Jesus. So the listener at that point in time was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So Jesus setting himself up here is like, I'm the shepherd. You guys are a sheep without a shepherd, but I'm the shepherd that's going to lead us into the promised land and save my people. And so all of a sudden, this story goes from feeding to this generational, massive story. And in the shepherd... Jesus says, hey, I want you guys to what? Go sit down and where? Green pastures. The green grass, which for some of you guys know is from Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He leads me what? To lie down and where? Green pastures. And so this story all of a sudden goes from just simply feeding to saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus is teaching his people what it means to have compassion, but Jesus is always making this huge statement. Let me tell you who I am. 
I am your shepherd, and you shall not be in want. You are no longer a sheep without a shepherd, but my sheep need to listen so they know where to go. Band, you guys can come back up. So as we close here this morning, we're going to sing one more song. It's actually a new song um, from Psalm 23 that talks about that we shall not be in want. But I want you guys to take this part in for a second. Your level of compassion ties into your commitment to Christ. And so when you begin to think about your compassion towards another person or compassion towards a grouping of people, it's like, okay, what is my level of commitment to Christ? When you think about maybe, maybe you're thinking about your pace and realizing that's actually what's impacting my compassion the most. And God wants to do something in you there. Maybe, maybe you realize you've compromised something. That distance you feel from God, that relationship that's falling apart, that um, everything's crazy at work, or maybe it's because you've compromised. And it's just not in your gut, the core of your being, like it should be. So I'm going to give us a minute here. We're going to throw a minute up on the clock to just process and listen to what God is trying to speak to our souls because it's something. And then we're going to um, sing one more song after this. So go ahead and bow your heads and listen to God here. for watching with us this morning. If you're out there and have questions, prayer needs, or want to get better connected, you can fill out a connection card at this link. Have you heard about the summer box challenge? It's going to be a super fun one. You'll receive a box full of materials to help you grow and engage with your community, your friendships, and your team. There's an adult box like always, and we also have a family box with a kid's add-on for your little ones so they can be learning right alongside of you. And isn't this beautiful? And it might just come inside. All right, we will see you next week.